Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome in. Cube Show podcast, a college football podcast that comes to you on Sundays. We focus primarily on the Southeastern Conference, but of course, uh, trying to broaden the horizon, spread the wings just a little bit as well. We got a lot to get to today. Uh, our final spring preview today, Mississippi State. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. Only one portal player really to talk about and uh, not a lot going on there. Dijon Terry was lost to Oklahoma. Uh, we know he hit the portal a couple of weeks ago uh, from Tennessee. So they're going to be down a defensive lineman, but uh, a solid player, solid production. I, I don't think that's a massive loss really for the Vols, although depth could be a, a little bit of a concern there down the road. Here's what we do each and every week. We, we, we bring you kind of some news and things that are happening. If there's a portal guy, we go study the film on them. We talk about them first and then we get into the previews. No preview next week, obviously. So, uh, a little bit of surprise going to take a little bit of a different turn. Everything's still going to be centered around the SEC, the SEC football season, what's happening in the SEC. And of course, coming off spring meetings, there's a lot of news. Uh, we've got a new storming the field policy, which, you know, you're going to, the opponent's going to have to pay the fine. I, when you're talking about eight, 9,000 college students, I really don't think they care about that. So um, I, I don't know if we're going to have to go a little bit more strict than this down the road to actually stop it. Um, I do think that there's been a few more recently than in the previous, say, eight, nine years. I don't know if it's that much of a problem, um, but I'm all for policing this in a very stringent way um, because my view on it is, number one, I understand that it's fun. It's cool. It's a tradition. We all like it. It looks nice. I mean, listen, I've been on the field when uh, interviewing a coach after the game when when the fans have stormed the field. It's really cool. It's neat. Um, but there also has to be a point in time where the adult in the room stands up and says, Hey, just so everybody knows this is going to end very poorly one day. And if that happens, there's going to be a whole lot of other things we have to deal with that school has to deal with. Potentially an individual has to deal with. Maybe the league has to deal with the stadium has to deal with the city has to deal with, and we don't want to go there. So let's try to get out in front of that before it happens. Cause let's be real. We've had a couple of brushes, close things that have happened. I've actually seen a few things happen with fans on the field after games that a lot of other folks haven't. And I'm not even saying that's been in sec stadiums, but point being we're, we're like, we're walking, treading on thin ice here with this. And it's something really bad is going to happen if it continues to go down and you just got to get a handle on it. So nonetheless, uh, that wasn't the big news. Uh, the big news was going to eight conference games in 2024. And nationally, a lot of people are mad about this, a lot upset about this. Now I'm, I'm going to tell you why you probably should be mad about it uh, while I'm frustrated with it, but I'm not going to go over the top and, you know, bang on the table and, and tell you how weak the SEC is or how scared they are, because I think it's a, it's a one year gap stop is really what I think it is now exactly how and why that took place. Eh, I don't really know if, 
if I have a real answer for that, because I think we've heard a couple things, but I don't know if I even believe those things. Like, let's start with, we want to see what the college football playoff committee is going to say, like how the 12 team playoffs going to work out, which is fair. I get it. I understand it. We want to see how strength the schedule is going to be equated there. So let's play the other side of that. When did we decide a national champion in any format, in any way, any place, anyhow, any shape, any form and strength of schedule did not play into it because we can go back to the associated press poll, the coaches poll. We can go back to, um, the BCS, we can go to the 14 playoff. We can go to the sporting news. We can go to whoever else voted for national champions back when Colgate and Harvard were winning them. However, we decided those, the golf digest national championship that Tommy Tuberville claimed in 04, the Lochapoca times, the Birmingham news, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Like the, the Kali matrix up at UAH who helped with the BCS formula. They all take strength of schedule in, into play. They all look at it. They all measure it. We're not going to go back to a number or a formula. That's why we got away from the BCS, right? We didn't want the computers deciding what we were going to do. We didn't want to have a number slab next to it to just say, well, yours is uh, 96.258 strength of schedule and theirs is 86.25. So you should definitely go on to the playoff. Like, we don't want that. That's not what we want. We wanted human beings to be able to judge it, talk about it, debate it, decide it. So we know that you're going to get conference champions are going to get in. So on, on top of that, I don't know why you would step back and say, well, we need to lighten our load because that won't really make the difference of us getting in. It's always been viewed. It's always been taken into consideration. It's always been a part of how we decide who the national champion is. It has been done differently, but it's always been a part. So to say that you're going to sit back and wait and see how they view strength of schedule, they're going to look at it. They're going to take it into consideration. I go back to what Kirby Smart says. Win your games, man. At the end of the day, that's what matters. And if you have the most difficult schedule in the country, like Ole Miss has the number one schedule according to ESPN's FPI. You can hate that if you want, whatever. I'm just going to use that metrics. If Ole Miss loses three games this year, they're in the discussion for the, for the 14 playoff. They just are. Because people are going to look at it and say, hey, man, they played a murderer's row of football teams. It's the most difficult schedule in the country. They should at least be in this discussion. Let's have a talk about them. This is going to be real. I've sat in that room in the mock committee. I know what it's like. They would at least be a part of that conversation. So to say you're going to sit and wait on what they're going to say, and that's not why you want to go there, I, it sounds cool. Um, I think it's something that you can kind of slide by with, but I'm I'm not really buying it, just to be perfectly honest. Um now, I, I think that there are a couple other things that, that you look at as well, and you say, all right, well, you know, why are we going to wait for this? Or what are going to be the other things that we look at and we say, you know, we don't want to go ahead and go to it right now? Well, um, to follow up with the strength of schedule, how many teams are we really talking about being in the mix for the playoff on an annual basis? Like A&M, COVID year, maybe Tennessee last year. There, there have been a few other seasons where the next team or two may have had a seat at that table or potentially would have been in close to being in a 12 team playoff. But it's not like ultimately, you know, the one game or the one loss has been a difference. And is one win against Tennessee, Chattanooga or Furman going to make up that much more difference than a loss to Mississippi State on the road or LSU on the road? I, I don't know the answer to that, but it doesn't seem like that's going to ultimately cost you a chance to, I guess what I'm saying here is more teams are going to be impacted by trying to get to or above 500 
and trying to keep jobs and keep paychecks and get bonuses than they are being in the mix for the college football playoffs. So, you know, why some people decided to go backwards after they had been going forwards for such a long time, I don't really know. Um, I feel like the league is, is frustrated with it. I think the league wanted it. I think the TV networks wanted it. But I also believe that I've said this. If you go back a couple episodes, I said this. Greg Sankey has one more trump card to up the ante on you know, what the SEC is getting uh, as far as your television revenue share for the media rights. And that is this, this ninth game, this ninth conference game, because now you go say the inventory goes up X amount of games and we're going to be able to offer you that each and every season. What is that worth? An extra 20, 40, 80 million a year. I, I don't know the answer, but you would probably think that you wanted that to be a part of it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think this is a one-year stopgap. I think in 2025, we will see the SEC go to nine games. So you'll get it for one year with Texas and Oklahoma in, and then they'll go to nine conference games. And then, you know, the one-team rivalry is another thing to talk about. I also think that in the one season in 24, like you'll get Texas and Texas A&M. You'll probably get LSU and Florida. You'll get Auburn and Georgia. You'll get Alabama and Tennessee. Like you can say it's only one, but whatever. The other portion uh, that we've heard talked about is whether it's eight or nine, every team still has a chance to play every other team in the league twice in a four-year span. I don't know why we're so hung up on this. And, you know, people pee their pants about it and go nuts. I, how many kids are playing four years at a school right now? 20% less. I don't know. I mean, how many guys are actually playing four years at an institution? So that should take a big portion of that off the table. And it's just not something that me as a player, I ever sat back and said, man, God never went to Lexington, you know, or man, only, only played in Columbia, South Carolina once. Ha, ugh. You know, I just, there wasn't a real thing. It just, it just wasn't. So, and now with extra teams coming in, it's going to make that more difficult. I just don't know. I understand from a fan perspective, you want that and you want the different games, different venues, especially want different teams coming to your venues, but just say that that's the reason that you want to have some of those things. Um, so no more divisions. We'll have an SEC championship game. Top two teams in the standings have not heard anything about tiebreakers yet. And I cannot wait to hear about the mathematical arithmetic equation formula that's going to go into that thing. Um, and how many rungs we may have to go down before we decide who's going to be in and how pissed off the third team in the standings technically by decimal points or whatever is going to be. We'll see how that one plays out as well. Um, the other part was, you know, it's going to eight, but they're, you're going to have to play a team from the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, the Pac-12, or major independent, which now is just Notre Dame because BYU is going to the Big 12. So there's only one. Um, I went and just, I, I kind of did some homework. I took a look at this quickly. Um, all the SEC schools are, are good to go in, in 24, 25, and 26. I mean, 26 is loaded up for a couple of these teams. Like uh, Florida's got NC State and FSU. Georgia's got UCLA, Louisville, and Georgia Tech. Um, so, I mean, South Carolina, I think, has Miami and Clemson. Some of the teams, like, absolutely uh, are loaded up. Tennessee's at Nebraska. But I went even further than that. This is how far teams have a power five opponent in the non-conference scheduled SEC teams, Vanderbilt, 2029, Tennessee, 2030, South Carolina, 37, Missouri, 35, Kentucky, 30, Georgia, 37, Florida, 32, A&M, 29, Ole Miss, 37, Mississippi State, 31, LSU, 32, Auburn, 30, Arkansas, 33, and Alabama, 2035. Uh, the problem here is Oklahoma doesn't have one in 2024. So do you come out and 
make this declaration just so Oklahoma has to go get one in 24, because then they've got one in 25, 26. They've got one in 29, 30 and 35, 36. They have to fill some gaps there. If this stayed, which I don't think it's going to, you got guys like Chris Del Conte at Texas is going to have to go find another non-con because he thought he was going to have another conference game. I doubt that's going to be a real issue for him to go find a team to take that million dollar check to come play in Austin. Probably be able to work that out. But nonetheless, there will be difficulties. There will be complications. I'm not going to view this as something that I'm mad at. I'm not going to view this as something that the league has been weakened. But I will say this. There are a lot of people nationally that want to take their shots at the SEC. There are a lot of people that can't wait to look down, talk down, point fingers at the Southeastern Conference. And whether it's right, wrong, indifferent, whatever that is, this gave them that opportunity. It gave them a platform. It turned their microphone on. And all of a sudden, what they're saying is not just a bunch of bullshit that we've heard from them before. It actually carries some weight. And people are going to hear it and say, you know what? That guy's right. Well, does that make you a lot of people think the next time he said something about the league that it may be more right or more correct? Uh, it gives some of those people a voice and it gives them a viable complaint that's not just fatigue of how dominant the league has been through the regular season and the postseason for X amount of years. Uh, that part is frustrating to me because I do think it's a bit of a dark cloud, a bit of a black eye over the league. It weakens the reputation just a smidge. Now, on the field, I don't think it's going to matter down the road. It's not going to make a huge difference. But there are certain people from national media outlets that we've already heard begin to take those shots and question in, you know, how tough is the league? Do they really want this? And then whatever the hell you want to say, it's fine because I don't like it either. I'll be perfectly honest with you. But I will say that I don't think this is long term. So just don't go crazy. Crazy. I gave you some of the reasons that have been presented. I gave you the reasons I, I countered to those reasons of why I don't think that solely those were put up just for that, that they're semi excuses, so to speak. But I also think that in in 2025, you're going to see the league go to nine conference games. It's all going to get worked out in the end. So uh, the only transfer player that we have is Zachary Franklin, a wide receiver from UTSA. And as you guys know, each and every week, we're brought to you by our friends at Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. They are so yummy. So good. Wickles.com. Go check them out. Proud title sponsor of the show. We always appreciate what they do. Appreciate them being a part, hanging out with us. Zakari Franklin, 6'4", 190, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons at UTSA. If you don't know a lot about UTSA, high-powered offense the last couple of years. Uh, he has mainly been their ex-receiver, but he has lined up in different places and done different things. Um, he's not the most physical receiver, but he is pretty good in traffic. He's got a big catch radius. He is loose. He is flexible. He can bend. He can go attack the football. He can run past DBs. He's a good route runner. He has a chance to come in and we previewed Ole Miss last week and, and maybe be that X receiver that we were talking about. Like you got the kid coming in from La Tech that may be a step slow to actually be that guy, even though I still think he could be if he had to be. Now you got him. Uh, maybe some academic hurdles that have to be overcome here, but I would imagine you don't go out and announce this and, and, and put this out unless you think you're going to be able to get it done. Big, big get for Lane Kiffin and his offense. This is a young man that I've seen take short intermediate throws, turn them into long explosive plays. I've seen him work the middle of the field. I've seen him go downfield. 
like I said, balls in traffic, running past DBs, man coverage is not something that works well against him very often. And he's been super productive. So, and also on top of that, a guy who's played a lot of college football, as we've mentioned with a lot of other of these transfers, you get someone into your program that understands the work ethic, understands the time constraints, understands everything that goes into it. Like he's a veteran player and veteran players, I think are still going to matter and still going to have their place. So I think it's a really good get for Ole Miss. It just adds on to everything we said last week about the possibilities of them getting to 10 wins because now they got another weapon on offense that they're going to be able to lean on and it's going to be able to carry the load. So, all right, so let's roll into Mississippi state. Uh, first thing that I want to say is just, uh, I kind of hate having part of this conversation, uh, because Mike Leach was just, he was great to me. He was great to our crew. Was he tough to deal with sometimes in interviews? Yes, but that was just who he was. And honestly, I accepted the challenge. I, I, I probably put more into talking to him leading into a game, you know, mentally than I did anybody else just because I, I wanted it to, to be great. And I wanted to get something out of him, which it didn't seem like all of us on the sideline are able to do very often. Um, I've told the story multiple times about, and if you've never heard it before, I'll share it again just quickly. Um, yeah, I showed him a video of my son dressing up as a pirate for Halloween and he just lit up. He loved it. We've got the video. It's out there on Twitter somewhere. And about a couple of days later, we get this big box at, at my house and it's all this candy and it's like a Mississippi state hoodie and a t-shirt. And he just, you know, sent it to my son saying, you know, Hey man, like minds think alike and loved your costume. Happy Halloween, whatever. So you know, he was a, uh, he was a very kind soul behind somewhat of an odd gruff personality at times, but man, I love being around him. Like we love talking to him. It was, it was so cool. And we've had a chance to have him multiple times the last few seasons. So he's going to be missed. I hate that part of doing this just because, I mean, you're talking about a college football legend an icon, um, you know, a, a statue in the landscape of college football with what he's done, who he's helped, where he's been and what he's brought to the game. So Rest easy, Coach Leach. Just hate moving on from you because it was so cool having him in this league and bringing such a different mindset, not just offensively on the field, but just kind of in general with what he did. But Zach Garnett's been the defensive coordinator and he now takes over. And I'll start with with just something quick on Zach. And that is there are a lot of folks that are kind of questioning the personality and they're like, man, this guy just like he doesn't smile and he's just kind of, you know, hardcore and he's rough and tough and this and that, whatever. Um, I've had a lot of people who have only had him for one television game say the same things. They'll be like, man, damn, Arnett's an asshole. Like the dude doesn't even talk to us. And the first time I met with him, it was the same thing. Um, but once you earn his respect, it is totally different. And it's just kind of part of who he is. Like he has that sort of, I will fight you in a back alley personality. And I think his players love playing for him. I think it was the right move to bring him in. Um, I think the timing and the stability that had to be attempted to be upheld, there really wasn't much of an option. In my opinion, this was, this is what was right for the players and for the university. That being said, we turned the page offensively. I, I really thought that you had a chance to go out and, you know, get a Chris Hatcher from Sanford, uh, somebody who's running the air raid that has run it. Maybe even if you wanted to get somebody who did it in a little bit of a different way, cause you had the personnel and you just kind of keep going. The more I've thought about it, the more I've kind of thought to myself, like, yeah, you know, maybe you just 
maybe you really do turn that page. And what's the point of running the air raid if Mike Leach is not there to run the air raid? Because Mike Leach obviously is, you know, the the godfather of the air raid. You know, he and Mummy. So if it's not going to be him, like why would you want to keep doing it? So I, I understand that mindset also. And then too, he's a defensive guy. So you could imagine that Zach Arnett wants to try to protect his defensive board. We had a conversation with him last year. We were talking about um, you know, how much they communicated during the games. And this is like year year two or three, I think. And he said, he's like, man, actually, I think this was the second year towards the end of the year. And he's like, yeah, it was actually a, a third down. He came over and he was like, Hey, get a stop here or something like that. And he said, that's the first time I've talked to him in a game the entire season. Um, so I can imagine that, you know, he wanted to try to go in a direction that he felt was going to better protect his defense, his side of the ball, where his expertise and his specialty is. And that's just to become a little bit more balanced. What they are bringing in, let's put aside Kevin Barbet and what you may or may not know about him. And let's just look at this actual offense. And today, honestly, I'm going to be real with you. This this preview is going to be a little bit less like diving into all the individuals because you've the defense should be very close to what it was. We'll go through some guys, but there's not massive departures and this, the D coordinator is still going to be there. And the offense is doing a complete 180. So we want to talk about that transition and then obviously having a first year head coach and get to know some of the people involved. Um, I'm, I'm excited for Zach though, because I think he's earned it. It's a guy that's been around Mike Loxley. He's been around Rocky long, obviously coach Leach. So he's been around coaches that have won games and been around big time college football. So I, I hesitate to ever say I don't think it's going to be too much for him because I, I didn't think Auburn would be too much for Brian Harson. Like I didn't, there are certain personalities that come into this league and you like, yeah, that guy's going to be able to handle it. And you just don't know until it's in your lap. Now he has the advantage of knowing everything around the Mississippi state program because he's been there. And let's be real. There are a lot of aspects that coach Leach was hands off with it, which probably plays to an advantage of Zach Garnett because he picked up a little bit of that slack. So. I I think he can handle it, me personally, and everything that goes with it. And maybe not being somebody who loves doing the media stuff will actually help him because they won't get near as many requests. That could be a positive. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that absolutely understands how to go out there and get this done, how to make this happen, and how to be somebody who can make it happen. So Zach Arnett can handle it. I I, I totally believe that. He brings in Will Friend on his staff, work with the offensive line. He brings in Greg Knox. Uh, Joey Jones is on the staff. He's got a lot of other guys that have a lot of coaching experience in the league and some other head coaching experience, which I think is also going to be a big benefit. So based on who's around him, uh, I feel like that part's going to be fine. But let's also be real. It's a first year head coach. Mistakes are going to be made. I mean, there's going to be instances that you either want to go for something and you don't or, you know, you, you try to get a little bit too aggressive Certain things are going to happen personnel wise. You get stubborn. It's just, it's a first year head coach, man. Like it's, it's just, there are going to be mistakes. So I look at that part of it and I have the utmost confidence in him, but there will be bumps in the road. That's just what it's going to be. Now onto the offense. It's going to be very different. You're talking about a team that was taking, I don't know, 60, 50 vertical pass sets, which are all very similar per game. 
And now you're going to be running the stretch play, which is wide zone, outside zone, and then variations of it uh, 30, 35 times a game. Those are very different worlds to live in for an offensive line. Good news is you've got some experience. Also, very smart move by Zach Arnett. He goes and gets Mike Schmidt, a former offensive line coach, not the former Philadelphia Phillies third baseman, who's going to handle tight ends and tackles. So now what you've been able to do, I talked about this last year with Auburn when Kendall Simmons got onto the field, is you can split your offensive line. So you can go center left, or you can just go left side, or you can just go left guard, left tackle, or just the left tackle and tight ends go. And they get that one-on-one coaching. They get the fundamental and they get the, the technique teaching that they need instead of just going tackle, guard, center, guard, tackle, tackle, guard, center, guard, tackle. Now you can split that group up and you get hands-on coaching and your tight ends are going to get more coaching too, because that's going to be an important position. They'll line them up as an H they'll line them up in line. They'll go two tight ends. They'll be a fullback. They'll use them in split zone. They'll insert them. They'll go lead with them. They'll widen the surface using them as inline tight ends. They're, they're going to be valuable. So I'm interested to see how that position works out because it's a pretty big question mark for me going into this season. Either way, offensive line is going to be massive, but you've got some experience there. Yes, technique, fundamental, very different. Uh, I'll go back to the Auburn scenario with Will Friend there. They didn't run stretch play a whole lot the first year. He said just in spring practice, they didn't get it. It didn't come very easy. Second year, ran a lot more of it. So can they get to it year one? You got good backs. We know Jaquavian Marks is going to be solid. Uh, You got Jeffrey Pittman, the Juco transfer, Seth Davis, the freshman. So I think you have some numbers to be able to operate it there. Whoever can... have the patience and find that ability to see put foot in ground, get North and South and understand that that thing can cut all the way back behind the backside tackle or hit all the way in front of the front side tackle, whichever direction it's going and anywhere in between, like whoever feels that the best has a chance to have a pretty big year and is going to get the, the bulk of the carries. But I think we all believe it's going to be Jaquavian just because we know what he's capable of. We've seen the most of it. But with probably Nick Jones at left tackle, um, Steven Lasoga at left guard, Cole Smith back at center. And here, this is the other part of that. When your offensive line is making a massive transition and you've got a tone setter like Cole Smith, I mean, put the spring game on. Like he's blocking guys three, four seconds after the whistle. Like he's driving guys into the ground. Having a tone setter there is going to be huge. Finding the point linebacker and the center understanding when to hang back, when to go work with the front side guard, when to climb to the linebacker. I think he can get a good feel for that. I think he'll understand it. He's played a lot of football. And he's a guy that loves it and wants it. Um, and he's got good lateral quickness. So he'll be a good fit for this scheme. That's a big leg up in making the transition, but make no mistake. The biggest transition on this team is not quarterback. It's not wide receiver. Maybe a couple of the tight ends that hadn't done this kind of stuff, but it's the offensive line. Cause I kind of include them in that. That will be the biggest transition this season. There's no doubt in my mind. And if that group can get it going, you've got a veteran quarterback that we know can make the throws and probably can still find some success in this system. Now, timing, rhythm, feel, that's all going to be different for Will Rogers, man. You think about the fact of this kid before this past spring, maybe never turned his back to the defense ever because he was in shotgun running air raid in high school. Like how many times has he gone play action, turned his back to the defense, sixed out and like ran the opposite direction on a bootleg? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It doesn't feel like very much. So, you know, getting to the back of that drop and understanding that it's got to go through the progressions in a little bit of a different way. Uh, like I've talked to Chris Hatcher at Sanford a bunch about the air raid, just because I wanted to learn more with Leach. And he's like, Leach believed somebody was open on every play and Leach believed based on coverage. You should know where you were going to go before every ball was snapped. 
you're living in a different world now, man. Like it's now you got all these different run checks and you're coming up and you know, obviously you're going to check different routes, different ways. It's just, it's not all, it's not as much as going to be decided and predetermined based on the way you've always run it. Like think about practice and how different that's going to be. It was a heavy based repetition practice before offensively. And now it's going to be very different. Like you're not, they were getting hundreds of reps in practice before. It's not going to be managed the same way. This offense will not be practiced the way that the air raid has been. That's a big transition that's going to have to take place. But what we do know about Will Rogers, no, he hasn't taken snaps under center. No, he hasn't taken a lot of five and seven step drops. No, he hadn't turned his back to the defense. He hadn't bootlegged a whole lot. Okay, that's fine. But we know he's accurate. And we know he can make the throws and we know he's not afraid of the middle of the field and we know he's tough as shit. So I'll put all that other stuff to the side and say that the second part of what I just offered up outweighs what I told you the first time. I think Will Rogers has guts. I think he's a winner. I think he's intelligent. I think he can layer the football. He's accurate. He's got just enough arm to get it down the field. And I think he's going to find success in this offense. And keep in mind, this offense led the Sunbelt in touchdown passes last year. So it's not like they don't put it in the air. Yes, there will be a run first offense, but it doesn't mean there has to be a super run heavy offense all the time. When you've got Tulu Griffin and Jaden Wally, who, by the way, we know Tulu's legit. He's real deal. Jaden Wally, why have we kind of forgotten about him? And I understand that, you know, it's been a little up and down. The production kind of dipped, but he's got really good tape out there. Like he's got good production out there. The other thing with the air raid is like, you can kind of disappear at times. It's not Lane Kiffin and Amari Cooper at Alabama, where you're just going to fire up 168 targets to this kid and design it any different way. And like, that's what it's going to be. It's not like it can, it can kind of move and trend different directions based on defenses. So I think you got two, you got Tulu back. You got Jaden Wally back, you know, Xavier Thomas going to be there. Justin Robinson, a guy from Georgia that I think that they need number one. And I think has a chance like spring game, bad drop, nice, big catch to go up and attack the football down the field. But the consistency has got to be there to be able to help them out. Tight in a position that I just, I don't really know what to think, man. Um, you know, Rylan Gooday, uh, the Georgia kid coming in, uh, he maybe possibly hadn't seen a ton of him. Um, you know, Antonio Harmon, can definitely help uh, Jaquarius Clayton, a defensive lineman that went over to tight end, potentially going to be able to help. I liked a little bit of what I saw from him when he, when we've seen it, but it hasn't been a whole lot. There's just, there's not a lot of actual game experience and a ton of tight end talent that we've seen in this offense. There doesn't mean that some of it won't work out. Doesn't mean that some of it won't be good. And I mean, I'll be honest. There, there are ways that you can manage three and four receiver sets in this offense. There are ways to manage two back sets in this offense, which can definitely happen. So Kevin Barbe will have a few different options that way. If that group doesn't come on right away, you know, the other part of that too, is you talk about a slow start with the offense. First time Mississippi state opens with three home games since 2006. So that's big. Southeast Louisiana, Arizona, LSU, um, back to back to back at home. That's good before they go to South Carolina. So I do think there will be a transition period. I do think that there will be some headaches. Like look at the spring game was a good example of this. Like Will Rogers was like dirt ball, overthrow, dirt ball, drop snap, overthrow. And then all of a sudden, second quarter, click, 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 click. He starts feeling it. He starts seeing it and everything's okay. There'll be bumps, there'll be hurdles, there'll be obstacles, there'll be headaches early on with this offense. But 
It's one that when it goes and you start to get it and feel it, like I went from isolation to zone scheme. Like I know the feel that is not just there automatically. It takes some time. But I'm also going to tell you, I love this offensive scheme. I absolutely love it. Whether it was Billy Napier and those guys at Louisiana, how they ran it, Eli Drinkwitz at NC State, or now what he's doing at Missouri, or all the guys that have run it at App seemingly forever. Uh, you look at what Baylor's doing with Grimey right now. It's 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 all kind of limbs of that tree. S- take the stretch play, build it out from there. Whether you want to go single back, two tight ends, whether you want to go four wides, whether you want to go heavy play action, stretch the field, RPO, put some option on it, whatever. But how they kind of build around it with the play action game off that stretch play and how they work the run game. I absolutely love it. And it's one that is very difficult to defend because like I said before, it can hit so many different places and the intelligence that Will Rogers does bring, I think can help the run game maybe as much as anything in the passing game, because he's going to see certain things. He's going to get into it and that's going to give them different advantages to be able to go out and get some wins. So I, I worry a little bit about depth offensively, mainly with the offensive line and tight end, if they had to have it. Um, I worry a little bit about depth at quarterback because in the air raid, your quarterback's not taking too many hits. And because that ball's coming out, you know that right away. But in this offense, he'll probably take a few more hits. It's just something that is going to be there that we have to pay attention to. Also, I just don't know how Mike Wright fits in. I like Mike Wright. I think he's got a different set of skills. I think he's got a good set of skills. I think he can give you explosive plays. But is the plan honestly going to be when he comes in, if he has to come in, it's a totally different offense. Him coming in as a changeup, fantastic, great. Him developing into a really good SEC quarterback, that I question. So can he be a viable backup? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know he can add something else, a different dimension that teams are going to have to prepare for that could also be problematic. Defensively, as I said before, there's just not a ton to really worry about. Crummity back up front, Pickering back up front. I think John Lewis could give state a little something off the edge that maybe we hadn't seen in a while. Some twitch, some speed. Like he's, he's got a little bit of juice safety. Well, I mean, linebacker, Buki Watson's back. Jet Johnson's back. Deshaun page had a good spring. He's kind of been waiting to come on. I'm not worried about linebacker. I'm not worried about D line near as much depth again for both those spots a little bit, maybe even more D line than linebacker safety. Interesting. Um, Freshman Isaac Smith coming in. No spring. We'll see. Uh, Jacoby Albert from Kentucky or Chris Keys from Indiana. Maybe they got a couple of numbers, but I think the safety spots are kind of open right now. I don't think that there's a I don't think that there's a massive confidence level with what that is. And we know you got one corner spot that's locked down. You got a Juco kid and a kid from Miami coming in that'll probably fight, fight for the other one. And we'll see how that goes. I'm not super worried about corner either. Cause I know you got at least one and we saw what you had with one before with Forbes and you'll be good. You can go there. So I, I don't have a ton of concern about the defense. And one other portion of the defense that I think could actually be a little bit better is there were times that Zach Arnett, I thought was mildly irresponsible, like too aggressive. Um, I don't know if he thought he had to be, or if that was just kind of where he was in his mindset at that time, at that point in the season or that game, whatever it was, I think him being a little bit distance from it could help some of that. I think him not being like in the mix, like in the guy's face mask when they come off the field, like trying to get them hyped up before the game and like trying to get them pumped up, like, cause they have to have a three and out. 
that he can kind of take a step back and say, we, no, we don't need to pressure here. Or why is our safety playing down? We don't have to do that. Like, why are we playing cover one here? I, I think it could bring a little, a little bit, just a little bit of clarity every now and then that could be of benefit. So, and he's still there. So it's not like the aggressive nature, the attacking style, or just the way that the group operates is really going to change much. It's not. So I, I, I have confidence in Mississippi State. I just have the understanding that there are going to be obstacles and there are going to be hurdles. That schedule, it's just not easy, man. It's just, it's, I mean, it's tough. You got South Carolina, then you got Bama, um, you know, then Western Michigan, but then a stretch of at Arkansas, at Auburn, Kentucky, at A&M. That, that four-week stretch is nasty, man. Southern Miss, and then Ole Miss, you get the Egg Bowl at home. So I think the home schedule helps a lot. You get LSU at home, you get Bama at home, you get Ole Miss at home. Kentucky's been a weird game between those two. I've had a bunch of those recently. You get that one at home, so that's good. Um, I mean, I think they have a chance to put together more wins than people think. Like, is eight possible? Yeah, hell yeah, it is. But a lot of things have to come together. And I really do believe that we are probably staring down the barrel of Alabama and LSU sort of separating in the West. And then what's going to happen with that log jam? Because Auburn has up the ante through the portal and are going to have a chance to be very dangerous. Arkansas. So what it probably comes down to between those teams is going to be quarterback schedule and depth. All right. Well, Will Rogers, a dude you really like. Brand new system, totally different system. You got a little bit of an advantage in schedule because theirs isn't as bad as some of the others that we're going to mention. Uh, and then the depth, I don't think you love Mississippi State. Arkansas, love the quarterback, tough, competitor, dual threat. New system, though. How's it going to work out? Not really sure. Same kind of guys around him? Eh, maybe not. Like Auburn's got Peyton Thorne, two-time captain at Michigan State, won a lot of games, got some bad film out there last year, a little bit dinged up. Is that offensive line really going to be better? I don't know. New head coach, new system, new scheme, ton of question marks there. Connor Wigman, still young, hadn't played a ton. That A&M offensive line, super talented. That's the most talented of the rosters we just mentioned. But is there a culture problem? I don't know the answer to that. Is he going to just... Go here. He's got talented receivers. And Ole Miss, same way. I think I think Jackson Dart's a quarterback. You just added another big-time receiver. Is your defense going to get stops? I don't know. Do you have enough depth? Eh, who knows? Maybe a quarterback you do. But my point is, all of those teams, I think, have a chance to be very close, and we don't know who's going to separate. But it also gives all of them a chance to separate. Whoever can get things together the fastest, whoever, and all that being said, veterans play a massive role in that Mississippi state veterans at tailback veteran at center veteran at quarterback veteran in the middle of the D line veteran and inside linebacker. Like the, the championship football starts from the inside out. And if you're Mississippi state, regardless of scheme and all that other shit, you have a lot of guys that have played a lot of football in the middle of your team. That's a great place to be. Blue Delta Jeans also a great place to be if you're trying to find some new denim. Go check them out online, bluedeltajeans.com. The most comfortable denim you'll ever wear. I love them. I've got multiple pair. Nick and the guys will take good care of you. Custom premium denim for you. It will fit exactly the way that you want. And for the part of the summer that we're going into, they're cool as well. So you're not going to sweat near as much in Blue Delta Jeans. Go check them out online, bluedeltajeans.com. Father's Day coming up. Great Father's Day gift. 
pair of custom jeans from Blue Delta. Go check those out. Thank you guys so much for being here. We hit 3,000 subs on YouTube. I'm holding Josh Pate solely responsible for that, for him having me on and everything we did with his show. So I'm very appreciative to that. Josh has been fantastic to us. Thank you so much. We are now on TikTok. I don't know anything about it, but our guy Reed is doing it and he's doing it well. So go check that out. Uh, At the Cube Show TikTok, at Cube Show Twitter, at Cube Show Instagram. At Cube Show 61 on YouTube. Please subscribe. We're just trying to build this thing up, man. We are going to bring you college football content each and every Sunday. I got a fun surprise for you next week. Cause I know everybody thinks, oh, we're getting away from the spring previews, but we're not going to venture off too far there and uh, bring something that's still going to be close to home. We'll be back next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.